For those of you who have been here for a while, I hope you're like me and you're a little dissatisfied with your spiritual life. Will you stand with me? Will you talk to the Lord from your heart right now? Lord, here we are, and we want our spiritual experience to change. God, there are so many things that we do each day that are so full of busyness and priorities. And sometimes we're just doing so many things, but are they really meaningful? God, connecting with you is the most meaningful thing there is. For out of that will come the purposes that are eternal, longer lasting, fulfilling, restoring of relationships. God, you see our hearts. You know the places of brokenness, the places of emptiness, the places that we need healing. God, today as we stand before you, we're asking God that you would change our religious experience. Let it be relational. Let it be real. Let us walk out here today and be able to tell people, truly, we have been with Jesus. God, help us today in everything that is said and the things that you would say that I'm not going to say. Speak to each heart. Lift every place, Lord, of just feeling empty and lost and broken and tired and just defeated. We ask it in Jesus' name. Thank you for standing. You know, Jack was here last week, and uh, he really brought that message about hearing from God in that most important place when there are so many voices echoing or marketing something to us that for us to hear God every day is so important, to hear the words that he would say to us, to be able to respond to those words and feel changed and feel like we have hope, feel like we're not alone in the universe that really our relationship with God is ongoing and it's real. Remember, week before last, too, when I was been, have been talking about the prodigal, and <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> the prodigal and how it, it was about coming home to the Father and how that verse in um, John fourteen twenty three says that I am God's home. And as we thought about that, and we've been thinking about that over the last couple of weeks to realize we are God's home. It's a profound thing. You know, we know what home's like, and we know sometimes when our home is, is in disarray or out of order, when we get to that place where we get things straightened out, that feeling of home and feeling of comfort, or when we've been away or been in a place that's difficult, when we come home, there's such a feeling like of being able to let down. And yet, Jesus came and established a home inside of us when we accepted Christ. And the Father has set up residence inside of us, and I am God's home. The place, place meaning a portion or a space, a dwelling, a residence, that God is resident and living inside of us. It's a sacred place, and that sacred definition is holy, religious, worthy of respect. And also a sacred place is a place where we pray, where we do hear God or we attempt to be open to hear his voice. And we spend time arresting our soul and our emotions and our thoughts and all the busyness of life to take a few moments where we are trying to hear what God's going to say to us. In Matthew 6, 6, Jesus was speaking on a place to pray. You, when you pray, go into your room 
And when you have shut the door, pray to your father who is in secret place. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. A place that we always are encouraging you in prayer to establish a place where you can regularly meet God. Just like when you have an important appointment to meet someone that you that is special to you, you have a place where you're believing that you're going to uh, connect with them and you're going to deepen your relationship and you're going to hear what they have to say. And if they're a good friend, sometimes they're going to correct you and speak something into your life that's going to adjust you so that you're a better person. Well, th- this is how God is for us. And so us establishing that place in prayer, or, and I, I know sometimes we, we try to establish or something breaks up that thing, but always go back and try again. Every day, try again. And it's not like you have to spend hours, but spend as much time as you can. Spend five minutes even where you're waiting and hearing God. Shut the door, that secret place. Again, that shows a place of private meeting with the Father. No distractions. Leave your cell phone. Turn off anything that's distracting so that you can concentrate on God. Pick a time. Pick a place where, you know, it's you and God and where you know you won't be distracted or something comes up in your mind that I have to go do this, that you're, you're interrupted. And you know how when you're having a relationship, when interruptions happen, it breaks that flow. It, it breaks that connection that you're having. Father is in the secret place. We pray. And in that secret place, our heart hears. And we can respond to the Lord. In that secret place, burdens are un, un, unloaded. Places of refreshment come. And we may walk out of that place with the same burdens of responsibility, but not feeling the weight of them anymore because we feel like God has heard us and he's carrying us. And he's carrying that load with us. In Luke eleven two, Jesus said to them, When you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. You know, places that we work for are kingdoms to themselves. Your company's trying to build a kingdom and trying to establish a name and make a, make a living and make a profit. Our, our political system, you know, different groups, there's, there's a kingdom that people are trying to build. But we, since we received Jesus, we are involved in building an eternal kingdom, building a kingdom that's going to last forever and trying to bring people into that kingdom so they can experience not only the love of God and the forgiveness, but how to live and walk in this world today as a Christian, as a believer, to be an active part, to be a part where you're living out an example of your relationship with Christ. And then he goes on to say, you will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you ever think about that? You are earth. You're the earth. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That Jesus came to live inside of us to bring heaven down to us. And what a reality for us to shake Uh, our apathy or to shake up our our feelings of unbelief because we're connected in this natural world to realize heaven is brought down because Jesus and the Father have made their home in my life. What am I facing that would change because I have that realization that heaven has come down and is living inside of me? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The place where we've established that sacred place to meet the Father a safe, comfortable place to establish a clear hearing of the Father and what he's going to say to us. Jesus, God in flesh. Jesus became flesh. He became earthen just like us. 
bringing heaven down to us. Jesus comes and he broke the sin barrier between us and the Father. Heaven couldn't receive sinners, but Jesus became sin for us. He who knew no sin became sin for us to break that barrier and then to come give his life for us and then now to live inside of us to reconnect us to the resource center, which is heaven. We are here and we are earth. In in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, Paul wrote, we have this treasure of God in us in earthen vessels. I think sometimes, many times during the day, we forget who's inside of us. We forget the treasure that we carry, and it's Jesus Christ. It's the Holy Spirit. It's God the Father. It's the Godhead, the three-in-one. They are resident inside of us. You're the sacred place. We have been crucified with Christ, and there are things that we do automatically without thinking that are not right. But as we continue to have that revelation that Christ has made his home in us, and God the Father has made his home in us, and we are the sacred place of his meaning, it can help us to live from our new nature, to say no sometimes to those things that are distracting or that we know are going to bring grief to God or even grief to us on earth as it is in heaven. Prayer brings heavenly or heaven's reality into earth. How often do we need a a shaking uh, of heaven in our daily life? How often is our daily life such a separation, our reality from what we know spiritually that God is relevant or God is with us? Having that reality that God is with us right now can bring us an expectation and bring us a connection with God maybe like we've never experienced before. The distance between heaven and earth is equalized by God's presence. Wherever God shows up up or lives, wherever God shows up or lies, wherever God shows up becomes a sacred place. Sorry about that. (laughs) I think um, in this time, it's a real time of uh, constantly stirring ourselves. Paul tells us to stir up the gifts, to stir ourselves. Tells us to redeem the time. David told us in the Psalms that we have to say to our soul, Bless the Lord, O my soul because there are so many things that would come so quickly to steal our joy and our purpose in our life. The title of my message today is Your Most Important Work. And you know, we have different seasons where we feel like God's doing something in the season, and when that season is happening, it's like we can all identify. We can either be participants in it, or we can just be, just be spectators. But I feel like this is a time in our church where all of us are supposed to be participants. You know, Jesus was hungry. His disciples had gone to buy food, and he was at the well where, that, where he met the woman of Samaria. Kind of that story that Jack was telling us last week. There was a deeper hunger that needed to be filled. And in John four thirty one through 32, Jesus, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. That definition of food is any kind of food or nourishment 
but we obviously know Jesus was talking about a deeper spiritual nourishment that was needed. And he was finding that nourishment by talking to a woman about God, bringing her hope from a life of sin and routine that she was in. Jesus was telling his disciples when they came with lunch, I'm feeding something so much deeper. The will of God for his life was so much more important. And that's the same thing for us as Christians. There is so much of a deeper uh, thing inside of us that sometimes we're not even aware of that God wants to bring fulfillment. True food. Whenever I go to see my kids, a lot of times my daughter likes to go to true foods. There's not much meat there. In fact, there's none. John 4.34 talks about true food. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. What a different priority Jesus had. You know, he was tired. He'd been walked all day. And he sat down at that well. And whether he knew beforehand or in that prophetic moment when he sat down tired, thirsty, and hungry, he knew he was going to connect with someone. He knew he was going to lift someone out of the routine of their life and leave them with the message of the gospel. Impart to her that he was the Messiah, and he began to talk to her prophetically about her life. There is a work every waking moment that we have. Doing God's will, and the definition from strong is God's will. Christ the doer of divine will. The conception of the will of God as the basis and purpose of salvation. The new life of the believer is doing of the divine will of God. Every time we come together, every time we spend time with the Lord, we're reminded of a higher calling. We're reminded of a different purpose that we are living our lives now as Christians. Being a disciple of Christ and spiritual maturity moves us to share the good news. Your real calling, your other job, your real job. In Mark 1, 16 through 18, as Jesus walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Fishermen seem to know where the fish are, or they know fish. They know how they think and how they act, how they could elude the net. Jesus said, I will make you become fishers of men. Becoming fishers of men is a work. It's God's work in us. Charles Spurgeon wrote this. I will make you fishers of men. I will teach qualifying you to catch men. You're here today, and this is like our place of worship and a place we gather and we hear about God's word, but also it becomes a classroom today to remind us that God wants to qualify us to catch people, catch people for eternity. There are people dying every day. And like that man in Luke 16, they're suffering in torment because they haven't made a commitment to Christ. Charles Spurgeon goes on. He says, true winners are not self-made, but Christ-made. We came to Christ for whatever reason, whether we were in sin or we were tired of our life and tired of running it the way we were, whatever reason we came to him, we were saved and began a relationship with him. 
But that same reason why we came motivates us to touch others in the way we were touched and to see them changed like we are being changed and to give them the hope of eternal life like we have that hope. They left their nets. They left what had been, they had been, had been their most important work for something of greater importance, saving people. We most truly follow Christ when we become fishers of men, Spurgeon wrote. Discipleship makes us fit to be used by the Lord. Becoming a disciple, being trained by God, experiencing God, having spiritual experiences, growing in your understanding and knowledge of the Word of God, all helps you be a better fisherman. The making of men catchers is a high form of creation. Just as we are recreated in Christ to to do good works and to be different people, God wants to do that same thing in people around us, people that only you are uniquely able to touch. Maybe you're the only one will ever bring them the gospel, will ever be a representative of Jesus to them, lost people, people just like us, that without sin, connected with God, they're precious, they're holy. Even your worst enemy needs Jesus. Soul winning is the most creative work. Think of it. You may not think sometimes that you have much to offer. For me, I think most of my life, my biggest skill was a janitor because I spent most of my life and I still do a lot of cleaning. But to think to be called by God to do a greater work, to speak into people's lives. You know, Wednesday, you know, when we kind of launched this time of reaching people in our community, it seemed like it's a very spiritual time for our church. The whole day I had different experiences. And even when I was locking the door on Wednesday night after going out and having a great time talking and praying for people, even praying over people who were demon-possessed and believing that just sharing and praying over them that God was somehow going to change their lives in the future. An old man came up the sidewalk right as I was locking the door. He had a backpack on. He was clean-dressed, and he said... Uh, in, in kind of broken English because he didn't know much much English. He asked uh, if I knew of any place because he was coming into town. He wanted a, He's a farm worker, and he, he wanted a place in the fields. And I, I said, um, I don't know any place right now, but uh, can I pray for you? And he took his hat off, and I prayed for him, and he began to cry. Then I was able to just ask him, hey, have you eaten? No. So I gave him a few dollars, and he was happy to go across the street to Taco Bell and get some dinner. But in a moment, to see a person that you don't know, that God sends your way, and you're just able to even pray for them, and then when you see the tears well up in their eyes, you know that something big is going on spiritually for people that are around us. And God is ready to send people to us. He wants to send people to you that you can touch and share with the good news. In Proverbs 11:30, the fruit of righteousness is the tree of life, and whoever wins souls is wise. It's right in line with the Lord, what the Lord has been doing with us. Refresh, the healing, the prophetic impartation, all that we receive is so that we can give out. Had the opportunity of just attending a wedding recently and just feeling this burdened. Who can I talk to? Who am I going to be able to share the gospel with? And, you know, sometimes when you go to weddings, you don't know very many people. And it's interesting when I sat down, there was two people I sat with, and they were from Hollister. And it's not like we talked about the gospel, but I know their names now, and I've been praying for them. And sometimes maybe all you'll ever do is pray for that person. 
but who knows when we go into the other side, when we're at that banqueting table for who knows how long that banquet's going to last at the marriage supper, who will we sit across from? Who will tell us how they came to the Lord and how much we'll know our prayers and who were touched by our prayers? Jack Willis reminded us about hearing, sowing seed, and fruitfulness. Man, I've heard that story forever, but it so resonated with me what he said last week. Because I really want to be fruitful. I want to feel like I'm doing everything I can. I want to feel like when I get on the other side, there's nothing I left undone as a believer. That there was no person I didn't talk to that I was supposed to talk to. That there was no person I, I didn't pray for that I was supposed to pray for. Because eternity grips me really hard, knowing that people will go in heaven or hell. And so wanting to be responsible that I'm a good steward of what I have. The greatest treasure is Jesus Christ and the love of God that came to me. But he talked about how the woman, how she, uh, how she heard from Jesus, and then she goes back to her family. And then they come. The people in their town come and they, and they experience Jesus and they get saved. And then they go back and they say, well, now we, we, we believe what you say, but not because of what you said, but because we've experienced him for ourselves. And it shows that all we have to do is just keep depositing seeds into people's lives and trust that the Holy Spirit's going to do what he's going to do. And because we do our part, that they're going to encounter Jesus and the Holy Spirit is going to touch them. And the fruit that's going to come is because we just simply did share, we shared our life, we shared what happened to us. See people responsive. Kind of believe that people you're going to talk to, they're going to respond. I guess in this world we're so used to being rejected, not listened to. There's so many voices. Does anybody listen to anybody anymore? Do you ever wonder that in conversations sometimes? Does anybody want to hear what I have to say? Jesus is speaking to us in John four thirty-five, the first part of the verse. Do not say there are, are still four months and then comes harvest. Do you look at the people around you with human eyesight? Do you judge them by what they look like or what impression or... Uh, emotion is on their face? Or do you look past? Do you see their heart? A heart that needs Jesus. A heart that needs a Savior. Don't look at people as not ready to receive Jesus Christ. Don't think, oh, they're not ready. Because who knows the heart? They might be looking like the worst candidate. And yet when they hear the gospel... I remember one, one time, there was a biker. We had a Are You Going to Heaven booth. And uh, he was so anti-God. He was so, man, he was like, you'd think like, oh, this guy's not open. And then all of a sudden, he started opening up and sharing his brokenness. And he received Jesus. It was just like such a different thing to see someone that looked so close, and yet they were so ready to receive. Our key verse for today is, John 4.35, that second part of the verse. Jesus speaks to us. I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. People around you are ready for the good news that you can share with them. 
the seed being the gospel, had been sown in the woman at the well just a short time, and then it was bearing fruit. People were coming to hear Jesus from her testimony. You know, we're used to a lot of times doing what we do to get pay, to earn a living. Well, the Lord, he pays the best wages. There's no unions going on strike to get better pay from him because he pays top dollar. In John 4.36, Jesus tells us this, He who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. When we make the message of the gospel to people the most important thing that we have to say, we are going to get paid. We gather fruit. Back in April when that word descended about barrenness, that barrenness is being broken. God called us to be fruitful. And this is a time where we are sowing seed that's going to bear fruit. Some we may see, some we may not see until eternity. But it's a time to bear fruit. Again, remember, there's a difference between sowing and reaping. I think sometimes we... When we, witness, when we witness a person, we'd like to see immediately, okay, they pray the prayer of faith, boom, there's a night and day change, they're maybe coming with you to church, they're involved in your life, that's ideal. But maybe you're just going to be a sower, and somebody else is going to reap where you're sowed. It doesn't matter. We all get paid the same. We're all part of what God's doing. Keep planting the seeds of the good news. Keep using Jesus' name. Keep telling people that God loves them. Keep telling them that there's a, a great opportunity for them to have eternal life through Jesus Christ. The message we declare in Luke nine fifty six: For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them from the penalty of eternal death. And they journeyed on to another village. He went from village to village talking about his mission, being Messiah, being the Savior of the world, healing people, showing them that God was now on earth doing the miracles in their lives so that they could have evidence that who he was was worthy of being responsive to. In John 3:15 through 18, John wrote, Whoever believes in Jesus Christ should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in Jesus is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he did not believe in the name of the only begotten son of God. Jesus is the original sender and the original commissioner. In Luke 10, 1, after this thing, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. He's still sending. He sent us this week. 
He's going to send us tomorrow. He'll send us today if we're willing to go. I know sometimes it's uh, fearful to share the gospel or even to go out. But there's such an excitement when you go past those feelings of resistance and you go share the good news or just be willing to go out with a group of people. It's kind of like infectious, the excitement about seeing people touched by the Lord. Give what you have received. In Matthew ten seven, Jesus sent his disciples saying, As you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Preach the kingdom. Again, to help people look at the eternity that they're facing. Some of the people you're going to face maybe won't seem very old, but who knows when they're going to die. And the opportunity you have to get them acquainted with the kingdom gives them an opportunity to be ready to meet Jesus. You know, when it says, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons, it can make the Christians in our society feel a little intimidated. Because maybe you feel like when you pray for people, you don't see those dramatic changes. Well, it's not up to us. It's not our power. But we are carriers of him who has that power and who can use that power when and wherever he wants to use it. But if we keep praying for people and asking for the miracles, I'm sure they're going to come. Dory told me that when she went to see Heidi Baker the last time, she told about how many years she went out, going out into the ghettos and the city dump and laying hands on people and not seeing them healed, but she kept doing it. And took, I think, over a year, she kept doing that. All of a sudden, miraculous things started happening. Our faith is in a God who does the impossible. Our faith is not in our ability. We have to believe that the greater one is living inside of us, and he wants to do something in the people around us. He wants to do like he did for the people in the gospel days of the miraculous that turned them in one moment from unbelief to belief in a living God. Freely you have received. Sometimes maybe even just realizing what we have is a place for us to start and a place that we can give out. Here's a few stories about some Bible receivers. Maybe it can get you thinking about what you have since you came to Christ. The woman at the well said, He told me all that ever I did. Her story had a prophetic impact. God sees and knows me is what she came away with. And the fact that he told her everything about her life spoke to her that only God could know that. And so she believed that he, and accepted him as Messiah. Who knows what prophetic gift would come out of you because you're dare to open your mouth and say something that's coming up from your heart to a person and can be prophetic. I've seen people do that. I've seen people with prophetic gifts say something to a person and it's, they unlock this huge barrier between them and God because they know who could have known that except what that person said through the prophetic to them that opened up and unlocked this whole layer of unbelief. And I believe when we're sharing with people, we can ask God, God, I have your Holy Spirit in me. 
will you let and release the prophetic in me so I can say exactly what I need to see? Show me, even if, if possible, show me what I need to see so I say the right thing. Help me when I'm able or allowed to pray for a person to pray in such a way that I am touching the very core of their being. John 5.15, the crippled man from birth. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. His story, Jesus healed me. I met the Messiah. Wow. Crippled from birth. And it turns out he's healed. And Jesus reveals that he is the Messiah. Can you imagine his testimony? People who saw him, people who made fun of him, maybe growing up as a kid. Oh, you cripple, you can't do nothing. Now he's walking around telling that the very Son of God brought healing to him. John eight ten through 11. Jesus said to the adulterous woman, Woman, where are those your accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. What's her story? Freedom from sexual sin, deliverance, and the power not to go back to sin. That's powerful. Can you imagine the transformed life that she walked? Can you imagine some of the people that used to uh, hang around her or try to give something for her? The gospel message they got, I don't, I'm not like that anymore, but let me tell you about Jesus. Can you imagine some transformed lives that came from that lady? I'm sure we're going to hear that someday. Her witness, her testimony about what she had freely received, she was then now giving back. In John 9, 15, a man blind from birth, Jesus put clay on his eyes. He said, Jesus put clay on my eyes. I washed and I see. What have you received? What happened to you when you accepted Jesus? What made you accept Jesus? Sometimes we have to think about how we started with him to stir up our own testimony of what we're going to say to people. What are we going to offer people? We have to offer them what's real to us. And for me, it's always been Jesus came to me and I experienced God's love like I'd never experienced it before. And that changed my life when I was eight years old. What have you freely received? And what's your story? In Matthew 28, 19, Jesus said, go make disciples. It's called the Great Commission. It goes far beyond, again, the priorities that we can think we have in our head and even the busyness that we're driven to, to even leave here today because we have to accomplish some things. Jesus saying, as you go, remember that I'm with you and I'm going to put people in your path along the way. And if you do what I say to do, I'm going to help you take care of what you have to do too. It's not like either or. God helps us accomplish what we need to accomplish in this life but he helps us set our priorities right so that we are open to touch people around us. The mandate for everyone in John 3, 7, Jesus said, Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. Lord, fill us up to give out. I asked Dory to just come and just spend a couple minutes just sharing with you some practical ways to get people to accept Christ or to soul do some soul winning to share the gospel. We were um, 
few weeks ago, we were with some pastors in the area, and we were just talking and getting really excited talking about this whole prophetic evangelism. And uh, one of the, the ladies there, it was really neat. She said, you know, that is really what brought me to God. I was a waitress, and all of a sudden, a Christian walked in and just began to speak to me about things in my life, and I knew that it was God. And I thought, wow, what an exciting thing. And now she's a pastor's wife. And so we never know the impact that we have on other people. So, you know, Bruce was asking me to share, and I was thinking about that. And I keep thinking of what you were just saying, not knowing you were going to say this, is you can really only give what you've received. And I was thinking about that whole verse in John 10.10 where it says the thief comes to kill and to steal and just to destroy. And I used to just think that he's out to kill and destroy our faith. But I, uh, this week, pondering that, I started to thinking, really, the thief is also out to kill, steal, and destroy our testimonies. Our testimonies. What God has done in our life and who God is. Um. And I was thinking about how Jack last week was talking about the power of a testimony and the impact that it has on other people. So if we can begin to doubt what God has done in our life, if we can begin to doubt what he is and who he is, we don't have anything to share anymore. And so we have nothing to be grateful for. So we have nothing to give. And so sometimes, you know, the way he does that is like, oh, you know, um, you really worked hard, and it was all you that made that happen. You know, we take the supernatural and we make it natural. Instead of taking some of the natural things that God does in our life and bringing in that there was a supernatural touch on the things that have happened for us, the divine appointments, the divine... um, things that happen that we just sometimes we just brush away or we forget the goodness of God and the things that he's done. We can find ourselves almost like in the back, back in the garden with Eve where that deceitful snake, you know, that snake came and he began to create doubt. Did God really? Did he really say that? Did God really do that? And so it's the same temptation we have today with things that go on in our own life that make us sort of lose the power of our testimony and the impact that it has. And so it's watered down and we really, we get with people and we just sort of act like they act and we become like they become and we miss incredible opportunities for God. I know this week God was showing me something so, so intensely deep I have had an offense with God, and I wrestle with God about my past before I knew God. How bizarre is that? Even before I knew him. Of, God, why didn't you keep me from such self-destruction and trauma and pain when I was young? And I get bugged with God, and I'm like, why didn't you keep me? Why didn't you keep me? So I have a weird mind thing in my head, a mind thought that's created some unbelief in what God can do again and who God is. And yesterday I had a great breakthrough that I feel is going to be a total renewing of the mind. I felt like he said, maybe you don't think that I kept you. 
But there came a day when I looked down on you and I said, enough. And maybe you don't think I kept you, but I'm telling you right now, I rescued you. And all of a sudden, I felt like my testimony came alive again. And I thought, oh, my dear God, you rescued me. You saved me. You took me out of a pit and put me up on a rock, a solid rock. You're my rescuer. You're my deliverer. You're the one who did that. And so what it did is it took me from a place of entitlement. God, you have to do this. You owe this to me to thank you that you gave this to me. And so I think sometimes we don't even realize these mindsets we have that water down and impact our ability to share the gospel or share the good news with other people. Because there's this weird part deep down inside that you think, it isn't all been good news for me. I was sitting with someone who I love dearly in the backyard, sitting by the pool in this heat. And I thought of that word about how easily we get disillusioned. And so I texted that whole word of being disillusioned. What does that word mean to be disillusioned? It means to be disappointed in someone or something that one discovers to be less good than one had believed. Now, I'm telling you, you can get disillusioned with people. You can get disillusioned with your family. You can even get disillusioned in church. But dear God, keep us from getting disillusioned with you. To think less of how good he really is. But that's that chipping away at our faith. That's that chipping away that we don't even sometimes realize is happening. And so we get disillusioned. And we can't, how can you bring a disillusionment to people? People are without hope. So if we begin to not have hope, we have nothing to offer anybody else. I think, um, you know, I know a lot of us, we don't feel like we're these evangelists. We don't want to talk to people. I mean, it's weird. Do you know, do you realize that we were trained our whole lives, don't talk to strangers? How many of you had a mom or a dad who told you from when you were very little, oh, honey, don't you be talking to strangers? Well, you know what? We're adults now, and guess what? I think we're still saying to ourselves, don't be talking to strangers. And I feel that we are missing incredible divine appointments and opportunities because we are not open to strangers. There are strangers among us. That is not just a movie. There are strangers among us that need God. And unless we come into their life, we break into their life, they are not going to ever hear that message. It says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I mean, just this last week, I went and I had to get a mattress. A mattress, And so I go to sleep train, but now it's called mattress firm. And so what happened is they sent me a mattress and it was way too firm. Okay, so I had to go back and I went into mattress firm and I went to talk to him about getting a softer mattress. And the place was, nobody was in there. And it was the manager, and he was this young guy. He was dressed in a very nice dress shirt, but I could see he had sleeve tats on his arms. I thought, oh, he's sort of a cool little guy here. And so I thought, I, I just want to start, no one's here, let's just chat. Well, we ended up in a quite lengthy conversation about God. Quite lengthy. 
And he has a grandma that's been praying for him his whole life. And he has an atheist dad. And he's, he was going to be a doctor, and he's got a big brain. So we talked about that big brain, and how does a brain find God? And we wrote diagrams, and, I was, and I'm not intellectual at all, but I had to sort of try to be intellectual because I was talking to an intellectual person. And we were talking, and, and I mean, we connected. We got close. He was no longer a stranger. He was a friend. He was a friend that now gave... I have to see, to the end, come to know Jesus. And the one thing is I was getting ready to sort of, I had to go and getting ready to leave. I said, wow, Gabe, think about it. What if you're in a car accident and you die? What if, what if there's really an eternity that could be where you're separated from God for eternity? What if, Gabe, what if, what if? And as I was getting ready to walk out the door, he says, can I just tell you something? I constantly think what you just said, what if? That's in my mind all the time. What if there is an eternity? And what if I am missing it? And what if I don't really give my heart and life to God? And so I said, I will be back, Gabe, because I want to come armed with some things. And when I go, I'm already thinking in my mind, he'll have other workers there. And he has an office. And I'm going to say, Gabe, we have some personal things to discuss in the office. And it's not going to be mattresses. And so I want to have the opportunity to pray with him. But we miss opportunities with strangers constantly. I mean, you guys, when you're in line and you're bored because the line takes so long, look at the person in line next to you. You can get into their life in one moment with the right question. We don't have to be weird about God and Christianity. But I tell you, you talk to a person long enough, and there will be an open door to ask a question that will then open up another question and another question. Went to get my glasses this week. There was this old spunky lady, 72 years old, blind in one eye, telling me about her trip to the hospital where she almost died. And I was very enthralled in her conversation. Because we were bored. We were waiting for our glasses. She was bored too. And I said, I've got to ask you a question. Did you think about God when you thought you might die? And she blew it off really quickly. But I thought, okay, I opened a door there. She could have walked through it. Or she, could, or she goes, oh, yeah, 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 of course. And then she went on to talk. And I thought, okay. It, it gave me a temperature gauge of where we were going to go in this talk with God. But there's so many opportunities if we'll take the moment. But I'll be honest with you. Sometimes I'm just selfish. I am doing my own thing, and I do not want to bother talking to somebody else. And I can talk to strangers. My whole life, I grew up with strangers coming in and out, living in our home because we had live-in nannies. Sometimes people say, why? You almost seem more comfortable with strangers than people you know. And I said, well, you know, people you know are harder because you, (laughs) you know, you're in relationship with them a lot longer. Things come up. And I said, it's because I grew up with strangers. I grew up with a stranger in my, I had two beds in my room, and, and the nanny lived in the bed next to me, whoever they were at whatever time. And then when me and my brothers put them through too much, they walked out the door, and we got a new nanny. So it was constant nannies. You know, but those nannies came into our home and lived with us as strangers. So it was, it's very comfortable. But, I think that thing, think about it. 
next time when you're with people, think, take that message, don't talk to strangers, and say, you know, I'm an adult now. I'm not saying go get in a car with some stranger and uh, do something weird. I'm saying just, you know, when you're in a safe environment, let's say a grocery store in the produce area, it will not hurt to talk to a stranger. They're not going to attack you there or come at you, right? Huh? There are places we can talk to strangers. So anyway, enough of that. So anyway, I was thinking too also, okay, so maybe you're not an evangelist. You know, you can pray. You can pray and ask God to give you his heart. And get ready if he does that. Because if he does that, you'll never be the same. You'll never be the same. If God drops a little teeny piece of his heart into you, it will definitely affect you and impact you. I remember as a new Christian walking on Skid Row in Washington with my mom. She had come to visit me. I was newly filled with the Holy Spirit and really having these huge experiences with God. And we were walking arm in arm, and there was some... Um, Native American alcoholic men completely drunk out of their minds on Skid Row by Pike Street Market and just taking a leisurely walk, all of a sudden I looked over at them and I was so overwhelmed with compassion that I was bent over weeping for these men. I, I don't even know who they were. And trying to explain that to my mom who thought I was completely had gone crazy. And But I know that I know that had nothing to do with my natural person. That was a little bit of the taste and the love of God being poured into my heart, not for just the good people, the up and outer, but for the down and outer also, that God loves people. God loves all people. His heart is burdened and he cares about people. That's what we are supposed to be living for. He hopes that none would perish. None would perish. All would come to him. He came to seek and to save the lost. That was his purpose. But we must know we're lost to be found. We must come to the place to understand that we are lost, and then we can be found, and then we can say amazing grace to other people, and we can present amazing grace to them. So we have to share the message of hope and salvation, So, uh, but we can only do that if we have had hope and salvation. I wanted to just share a thought about um, friendship evangelism, sharing your life story, living your life story. You guys, if you're around people that aren't Christians, don't just enjoy their friendship to enjoy their friendship. There shouldn't, there can't really be full fellowship with someone who's not born again when you're born again. So when you have a friend or you work with people, that is really an awesome place to begin to talk about God in just natural ways or tell them what happened to you. Because you know what will begin to happen? When they're in a crisis, guess who they'll call? When they need prayer, guess who they'll ask prayer from? And there's these little opportunities. I'm not talking about just hitting them so hard that they think you're just, you know, back off, I don't want to be around you. I'm talking about loving people. I am so grateful. I worked at, I was a waitress at IHOP, International House of Pancakes. And uh, I had um, a waitress friend, and she was a Sunday school teacher, and she was just, her dad was a doctor, and she was just very sweet. And I was like a little truck driver. Every word was the F word, and she didn't even blink. She just loved me and kept loving me and loving me when I was such a mess. And then one day she said, 
I really want you to go to Billy Graham with me. Well, I thought Billy Graham was just some weird guy on the horoscope page of the newspaper back then. We had newspapers. And, uh, but because she was my friend and she loved me so unconditionally, I said, yeah, I'll go with you. Well, who would know that that would be? That would change my life forever. That friend, that friendship changed my life forever because she was my friend. And she loved me just the way I was, unconditionally. Sometimes we expect non-Christians to act like Christians and to be a certain way that, so that we can be around them. And we can't do that. We just can't do that. We just be who we are and love people. So I could talk about this a lot because it, it's my favorite thing to do. But, uh, you know, this whole thing about prophetic evangelism, that's a whole other piece. And uh, I feel like sometimes people might not understand that God loves them and cares about them. But when you touch into a place that nobody knows about and you speak that to them, you just, sh- you just showed them the gospel. And they're so responsive when that happens or when you pray for people. You know, sometimes where people will, can start sometimes, one place where God will show, can show you something is you can just be at a, a, um, a friend of mine just said, they, a waitress came up to him and they, could, they just said, do you need prayer for something? Because they felt like they were supposed to ask. And the waitress was like, oh, please pray for me. So sometimes it's just asking someone, you know, it, you, do you need prayer? And they might be responsive to you. So... You know, it's just fun. We're going to, you know, we're going to keep working on this and getting comfortable with trying to talk with people. And I just think it's a great opportunity. But don't let the enemy try to steal your testimony. He's, he's really after that, and he's not going to get it. So, um, Lord, I just thank you, Jesus. I thank you for your word of truth. I thank you for revelation. I thank you, Father, that you want to put your heart into us. Lord, you want to do a work of grace in us that we will begin to see people the way that you see them and we'll be able to love them the way that you love them. And, Lord, we just pray that you would protect our testimony and, Lord, that it will be used for your glory. And, Lord, I thank you for everyone here today. And, Jesus, I just pray for a real blessing as they go into this day with their families, with each other. In Jesus' name, amen. So, we have five five minutes. Maybe you need prayer. Maybe you need a re-stirring. Maybe you're like, I don't know if I even ever had a testimony. I don't even know what, what that would be. I don't know if God's ever done anything where I feel like he's moved and worked in my heart and in my life. Or I need to re re rededicate myself. I need to reestablish my testimony. I don't know. But if you need prayer, there's people that will pray for you. Lord, break the disillusionment off people, even your, your people, Lord. Help them to keep their eyes on you and not on other people. Lord, we just need you to stir our hearts. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. So we're going to stand. And if you would like someone to pray for you, don't miss that opportunity. 
Sometimes God whispers. Sometimes he, I don't want to say yells. <laughs> but I know that he, anytime we, we move forward to God, he moves towards us. So we're going to close the service. But if you'd like to come up for prayer, please come up for prayer.